taught, pleaded, prayed, agitated, cajoled, and mobilized the church for action. And so I brought my binoculars here if I can get them out of things. That was the first I'd ever heard about going to Mexico, and he asked me if I was ready to go, and I said, George, uh, I need to pray about that. So we got back on our knees, and we prayed for a few minutes, and then George jumped up again and said, well, you're ready to go. George Burwer sticks his finger in my face and says, what country are you claiming, brother? And uh, George Verwer turned up in my life, and my first impression was, this man is unusual. My second thought was, I need to keep my distance. And we were also into uh, selling possessions, and the moody people would bring their possessions, forsaking them to my room. As George was preaching about the revolution of love, and he's preaching about faith and prayer, and, and you know, I, that didn't impress me too much, but it was exciting. So I want to just mention one or two books. By the way, I thought I would offend people if I didn't have a tie, so I brought one there. I've had four major leaders shaping and molding my life. George Verwer, Francis Schaeffer, Ralph Winter, John Piper, but by far, exceedingly by far, God used George Bill. And uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure for me to work alongside and, and consider George a friend. Um, I try to call him as often as I can, and I, I do that on purpose because every time I speak with him, I walk away having learned something. So that, I got connected with George, and one of the things that I really appreciate about OM is not so much they preach doctrine, but they practice the doctrine of truth, and they practice loving one another. Some of you know my good friend, Brother Andrew, God's smuggler. Tonight you got Brother George, God's bungler. Yeah. When you think of George, you think of a wild person who's all over the place. My lasting impression of George is consistency. What he preaches, he lives. So some of you are wondering why we're showing a video about a guy named George Verwer and who is George Verwer. He is the founder of an organization called Operation Mobilization, has almost 7,000 workers around the world, one of the largest mission organizations in the world, an organization that he founded right out of college, um, and he is going to be our teacher next Sunday. So it's a can't-miss Sunday. This is uh, really a rare treat for us to get somebody uh, like George to be here. He's weird, uh, peculiar, and God-inspired. So it'll, you'll be entertained, and you'll also... Uh, be challenged. So I just want to encourage you to make sure you're back here. Uh, good Sunday to bring your friends. Um, it's just a, a rare treat for us to have them. Hey, one of the things about Grace, really throughout the decades, we have had a commitment to world missions. We have been a missional church. We really believe that uh, we exist to take the gospel outside of these walls. And I love what happens on Sunday morning, but this is just the beginning of what God is supposed to do in us and through us. And um, we have world-class partners around the world, and I just want you to uh, welcome a special uh, couple. The Plastos are here, and I'm not sure where they are, but if they would stand up. They're sitting back here in the corner, Fred and Dolores. You can stand for just a minute. We started supporting, oh, you can stand. You don't get away that easy. Uh, we started supporting them um, in 1962, which happens to be the same year I was born. 
Um, so those of you doing math, that's 53 years. Uh, that's an amazing thing. They have been ministry partners for us uh, for over five decades, and they have taken the gospel to some of the hardest reaches places in the world. So for your faithfulness, for your partnership, we love you, and we're just grateful that you're here visiting with us. But uh, that's kind of Grace's history. We have partners here in the city. We have partners around the United States. We have partners in some of the hardest to reach places in the world that are just uh, committed to taking the gospel outside of these walls. And that's really part of what your support makes possible. So grab your Bibles, turn to Luke. We're walking our way through the book of Luke. We're in chapter 11. We're going to read the beginning of chapter 11. And what I want to do before we read is I want to remind you a couple of themes or threads, if you will, of the book of Luke, things that we have seen consistently thus far as we've studied this book. One of Jesus' mission was to make the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, or God's reign and rule, to make the kingdom of God more accessible to you and I. He says throughout the, the gospels, the kingdom of God is at hand. It means it's within your reach. And a good question to ask is, are you taking hold of the kingdom of God in your own life? The kingdom of God is a theme that runs throughout the Gospel of Luke. And we see over and over Jesus demonstrating the power of God by, by doing these amazing works of casting out demons and, and healings and coming along people who are, who are oppressed by the, by the way society is structured. He is, he is helping people to have both physical and spiritual healing. We've talked a lot about that as we've walked through this book of Luke, that God is about both. He is not compartmentalizing the two, that God wants to bring complete and absolute healing. So there's this picture of Jesus who's, who's bringing the kingdom of God and helping us to understand what the kingdom of God is. But there is another thread that we see consistently, especially in the gospel of Luke, and that is this practice that Jesus has of getting away and spending time alone with his father. It says as it was his custom, he would get up early and he would go. Luke mentions this way more than any of the other gospels. Jesus making a habit of connecting with his father. It's a regular part of his rhythm. So let's talk about that for just a minute. If you were here last week, we unpacked the story of Mary and Martha. If you remember, Martha was the one that was busy scurrying around. It said that she was distracted or troubled with much service, right? And, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving from Jesus, listening to Jesus' teaching. And Martha wants Jesus to scold her and Jesus says what he says, no, she's chosen better. She's chosen to do the better thing. But the thing that we talked about last week is that when you sit at the feet of Jesus, when you really experience Jesus, when you experience his love, when you experience his compassion, when you experience who he is, and you sit under his teaching, you will be compelled to go and do something. We as followers of Christ are commanded to go and make those disciples. We're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. There is a going and doing that is a part of being a Christian. It was never meant to be something that was just for us. So you sit at Jesus' feet and then you're compelled to go. And if you remember what I was talking about last week was that we have to be careful not to get up and go and leave Jesus, at least in our own hearts, behind. That We need to stay connected to Christ, because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. The only way to bear fruit is to abide in Christ, right? So Jesus is modeling something for us, this picture of going and serving. And if you read the Gospels, one thing you're going to see is Jesus works himself to the point of exhaustion at times. So he is very busy. He is working hard, but he takes the time 
to be with his father. He takes the time to reconnect. And it's not that he ever lost connection, but something more happens when Jesus is with the father. Something profound happens. So Luke is showing us this necessary rhythm, a rhythm that we all need in our lives. As a matter of fact, we see this getting away in, in, chap, in Luke in chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 9, 10, and we're going to see it again in the passage that we read today. So you're going to see both Jesus getting away to pray and the kingdom of God both in the passage we're reading today. We need to have a similar rhythm. So what happens here is the disciples, they're watching Jesus. Right? They're seeing Jesus going to a quiet place and spending time with his father. And they're noticing there's something pretty profound about Jesus' ministry. And so they're asking the question to Jesus, help us to have what you have. Help us to pray the way that you pray. And they're modeling something that we all should have, and that's a learner spirit. So no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, I guarantee you there's more for you to learn about prayer when it comes to this. So for you, it's, it's worth the, the exercise, regardless of where you are, to ask the same question that the disciples are asking. So Luke 11, we're going to read just verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, talking about John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good father. And you are, no doubt, the one that makes ministry possible. You are the one that allows us to understand the scriptures through your spirit. Though we just confess right now that apart from you we can do nothing we speak that truth back to you and we ask that you would open our hearts that you would open our souls that you would open our minds to receive the truth of this amazing prayer that you gave us Lord, i pray that your word would be our rule that your spirit would be our god and i pray that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living god i ask this in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen so in verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus, and a disciple, and he asks this amazing question. He says, Lord, teach us to pray. A few years back, we went on a staff retreat, and this was the theme of the entire retreat. We began the retreat by just praying together, Lord, would you teach us to pray? As a matter of fact, when we went into the retreat, we kind of confessed that, hey, we know how to pray. Like, it's not like nobody's ever prayed in the room. We're all working at a church. We know how to pray. We, we have some idea of what prayer is, but we knew that God was sort of stirring something in us, that he wanted to take us deeper. He wanted to expand our understanding of prayer. He wanted us to have a more vibrant prayer life. He wanted something to happen within our church. So the entire retreat, and really for the better part of a year, every time we were together, we would ask that question, Lord, would you teach us more and more how to pray? One of the things that came out of that was the Lord was really showing us that he didn't just want us to learn to pray, but he wanted to create a movement 
within our congregation, a movement that was needed to go deeper, not just in the staff and the elders, but across the board. And so the words that we felt like God gave us is that we needed to foster a culture of prayer, not just where we prayed when it seemed like right, but where it was part of our culture to bathe everything in prayer, where the ideas of what we're going to do as a ministry would not, not be something we thought of and then prayed about. They would actually come out of our prayer life that everything we do was birthed in prayer and that, that when we did ministry, it would be kind of covered in prayer. And when ministry happened, that we would celebrate it in prayer, that there was a picture of just having this culture where prayer is much more prominent and much more effective in the church. One of the things that we really felt like God was stirring in us to do was to get a 1,000 people praying every morning at 9.30, a 1,000 people who would take the time to stop and pray, even if it was just for a minute, to pray for grace, to pray for the leaders of grace. So, if you haven't done it, I'm going to ask you to take out your phone right now. Dun, dun, dun. Take out your phone right now. And I want you to set your alarm for every morning at 9.30. And here's what's going to happen. That alarm's going to go off, and you're going to be in places where suddenly you're going to have to explain to somebody, why'd your alarms go off? Oh, that's just when uh, we stop and we pray for my church. I love the stories. I hear them all the time of people being in a common area like a grocery store, and they're in one aisle, and they hear their phone go off, and then somebody else's phone, and they peek around the aisle, and they see somebody they know, and they can pray for grace at the same time. I hear stories of people being in business meetings, and their phone going off, and having to say, hey, that's just an alarm to remind me to pray for my church. What a great witness, right? Imagine a thousand alarms going off every morning at 930, wherever you are, and you're just stopping. And when you pray, just pray for us as leaders. Pray for the church. Pray that God would continue to do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. The other thing that you can do is, while you have your phones out, right after you set your alarm, which all of you are doing right now because you're obedient, uh, you can text the words 930, I can't read that. Can anybody read that? Prayer. Yeah. 930 prayer, you text that to the number 41411, and that puts you on a list. And about twice a week, we just send out uh, some prayer bullets. Like, hey, this is coming. Will you pray for this? Here's something God's stirring in us. Would you pray for that? Just a great way for you to stay connected with us. But imagine a 1,000 people, a 1,000 people praying every day at 930 for God to surprise us. could be a powerful thing. So that's one of the fruits that came out of it. It just became a different way for us to go after. The, the, the prayer that we have that half hour before each service, that's a part of, of us saying, Lord, would you teach us to pray? I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I believe fully that we are a different church since we began to ask, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And so my challenge to you is pray that prayer. Ask, Lord, teach me to pray. Make it a personal prayer. Put it on a post-it or on an index card and put it on your mirror in your bathroom or put it somewhere prominently in your car. And don't say to yourself, I already know how to pray because if you say that, then you're going to get caught up in your own pride. Just say, look, wherever I am in this journey, I know I can learn more. And begin to ask daily, Lord, would you teach me to prayer? Would you, would you help my prayers to be more effective, more powerful? The disciples come to Jesus and they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray say this. Now here's where we get in trouble. See, if we're not careful, we see this as sort of a, a rote, memorized prayer. And, and actually, it's a great thing to memorize this prayer, but it only is effective if you understand what it is you're praying. I am glad that my parents taught me 
this prayer at a young age. I learned the Lord's Prayer when I was very young. I could recite it at a young age, but it really didn't start bearing fruit in my life until I started to actually think about what it was I was saying. We can say something because we've memorized it and it have no effect at all on our hearts. So what I wanna do today is walk through the prayer and help us understand, well, what is it that we're actually praying? Why are these words important? So I don't think Jesus intended that we would become like robots and say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, we got it. We've checked that box. Now we can go on with the day. That it needs to be a prayer that brings life into you, okay? So they pray. He said, when you pray, pray this. He said, Father, hallowed be your name. And the question I want to start with is, why start with Father? Why did Jesus say to them, when you pray, pray Father. I'm going to give you three reasons why I said this. And the first is, it's how Jesus prayed, that he wanted them to have that same relational understanding of going to God in prayer. If you think about Jesus and his prayers and you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus praying all the time, Father, would you forgive them? They know not to do. Father, would you let this cup pass from me? Father, I, I, I thank you that you've, that you've shown these to the, to the children and not to the wise. He starts all of his prayers with that beautiful picture of Father. And so he's saying to the disciples, look, I want you to pray the way that I pray. I want you to know. Now, here's the deal. This idea in the, in the Jewish culture of God as a father was not a new concept. But to pray this way was radically uncommon. This is a group of people that were afraid to mention God's name and and calling God in personal prayer father would have been unheard of. So Jesus is bringing something radical, something new to the table to tell them to pray father was something really revolutionary. So he says, when you pray, pray father, because this is how Jesus prayed. And the second reason is because it is the accurate, right image of God. Father is who he is. Jesus wants, excuse me, Jesus wants the disciples to know who God is, that he is a benevolent, caring, loving father. And the reason he wants them to know is because your image of God matters. How you pray, when you pray, what you pray how you treat the people around you, how you approach your spiritual development is all shaped by your image of God. There's a professor at uh, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, Joel Green, and he says these words. He says it's not enough to simply to refer to God as Father. The question is, in what sense is the image of God understood? How do you understand Father? And the fact is, and you've heard me say this many times, your image of God is always initially rooted in your experience with your earthly father. So if your father was not around for you, if you never really even knew your dad, then you're going to have this this. Uh, this shape of God, when we talk about Father, is going to be misformed, and you're going to have to do some good work of saying, that's not really who God is. Your first response to God is going to be that God isn't going to be there for me when I need him. My father wasn't there. Why would God be there? And so there's some good work for us to do in thinking about, well, how is my 
image of God shaped. If you had a father that lorded over you, that raged over you, that was angry, your first response and image of God is going to be this all-powerful God who is lording over you and yelling at you and waiting for you to make a mistake so he can come down and slap you on the back of the head. And, and you need to have your image of God reshaped. Your image of God is always initially rooted in your experience with your earthly God. It's just, it's always this way. So my dad, I love my dad. Both my parents are first-generation believers. As a matter of fact, my grandparents came to Christ through my parents. Really cool thing. They love Jesus. They are just, but my dad was always there. He was always home. He was a good provider. Um, just, you know, just very, very steady and faithful. But I have no memory of my dad ever giving me any instructions. Never once did my dad say, this is the way you should go walk this way. Never did he say, let's talk about college, son. What are you thinking? Never, let's talk about girls. Definitely never talked about girls. Uh, none of that. So, so here's my image of God. Faithful, present, steady, but he's never going to speak to me. God's never going to tell me what to do. So I had to reshape my image of God to understand that, no, God is a God who speaks. God wants to speak personal life. And here's what I want you to hear if you're a dad in the room. How you love your kids matters. Because their image of God is being shaped by how well you love them. I would also say, thank God for grace, because we're all human, right? I said it in the first service, my kids are going to need therapy, right? And I think I've loved them fairly well, but in my humanness, I haven't loved them perfectly. And their image of God is shaped by how I love them, but somewhere along the way, they're going to have to stop, and they're going to say, look, my, my dad was good, but... He wasn't perfect. What is that thing that my dad did that helped to warp my understanding of God? And here's the deal. You can do this and still honor your dad. I think I just honored my dad. I love my dad. He gave me Jesus. But in that area, he didn't model what I needed to have modeled for me. I didn't have what I needed. And I had to reform my image of God. So, so let me say it one more time because it's so important. Your image of God matters because how you pray, what you pray, when you pray, how you treat the people around you is all affected by what you understand and who you understand God to be. Your image of God matters. We need to get to the place where we learn, not just in our head, but deep in our hearts, that God is a good, good father, that he cares about you, that he moves and acts redemptively on your behalf. Life apart from worrying and anxiety is only possible when you know deep in your heart that God is a good, good father, that he has your best in mind. So he says, pray, Father, because that's how Jesus prayed, because it's an accurate image of God. And he says to pray, Father, because it fosters community. Because if God is our father, then that makes us brothers and sisters, and community is critical to the church. Jesus prayed that we would be one, just like he and the Father of one, and that way the world would know that we are his church and that he is who he said he was. Unity is critical to the church. That's why it's so important that you get connected beyond Sunday morning. To be here, to gather is so important, but if you are not connected with people, people on a deeper level, you will not be able to walk out your faith in the way that God wants you to. Our unity is our testimony to the world. So here at Grace, we have this mission statement. We are a mosaic. 
That word mosaic, it's not just a cute word that we picked. It's not just something we thought of in a boardroom. It is the very heart of God that we are brothers and sisters. No Jew, no Gentile, no black, no white, no Democrats and Republicans. We are to be one. And when we pray together, our Father, it reminds us that we are brothers and sisters, just as a side note, this was meant to be a corporate prayer. It works great as an individual prayer, but even when it says, when you pray, the actual original language says, when you all pray, this is a prayer that was meant to be prayed together. If you notice, it's all in plural. Give us this day. And so there's this picture of praying it together, and when we sit together and we pray our Father, it reminds us that we are connected, that we are brothers and sisters, that we are in community. So it's not enough just to say our Father. There is truth and there's a necessity to have that image in our mind and to have that reshaped, but, but he's not just our Father. We need to remember that he is holy. He's completely other than. He's worthy of our honor. He's worthy of our respect, that he is lifted high. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. It's not just that he's a Father. Hallowed means holy, sanctified, set apart, special. We are to remember that our benevolent, caring Father who loves us beyond our ability to even comprehend is still holy. He is the creator of everything that is created and we, he is to be honored. He is to be hallowed. So we start. We start with this honor of praying to this heavenly father who is so holy and then we pray your kingdom come we're taught to pray that the lord would reign and rule in our lives we're taught to pray that the lord would reign and rule in our community so we pray lord would your kingdom come to detroit would your kingdom come to this broken political system that exists in the united states would your kingdom come to places like morocco where we have partners or afghanistan or or iraq or or detroit would your kingdom come into the detroit school system would your kingdom come into gross point would your kingdom come would you reign and rule with power in our lives and in the lives of the people around us and for the record I think this is an incredibly brave prayer and a dangerous prayer because if his kingdom is going to come, then your kingdom has to go. He is not going to compete. It means that when his kingdom comes, he becomes the one that's calling the shot. And when he says go, you go. And when he says stop, you stop. And when he says do, you do. The idea of God's kingdom coming is that we become obedient to the very things that God is calling us to do. But here's the deal. We will never pray your kingdom come unless this becomes part of our DNA. When we learn to pray the way Jesus prayed and to know God relationally the way Jesus knew him relationally, when we have an accurate image of God and we know that he is a benevolent, loving, caring father, when we know that we're in it together, then praying your kingdom come isn't nearly as scary because we know a God who loves us is gonna have what's best for us and whatever he has for me is better than what I have for myself. And so praying your kingdom comes becomes natural for us only when we start to recognize our father, hallowed be your name. Then we pray your kingdom come. There's an order 
necessary for this. It's, it's purposefully done in this order to get our eyes off of our, ourselves and get our eyes on God to know who God is and, and how much he loves us and to pray that his will would be done, his kingdom would become. We do that first. And then we pray, verse three, give us each day our daily bread. I love the fact that he doesn't say pray for wealth, pray for power, pray for a new car, make it shiny, pray for a bigger house. I'm not saying you can't pray for those things. What I am saying is not in there. What's in there is praying for your daily needs. And here's the problem. For the vast majority of us in the room, we never have to pray this prayer because we have so much that we don't have to pray for bread each day. This prayer, this sermon would be completely different if I were speaking to a little village in India where they have to scrape up enough food to feed their kids every day. Trust me, they are praying for their daily bread. How often do we, and here's what I want to say, just hear me, if that is part of your reality please come meet with us because we want to come alongside you and we want to help you that, that you are not struggling to feed yourself or to feed your kids. But for most of us, we're throwing bread away. Right, we are not praying, Lord, would you supply my And here's the problem with that. When we, when we live in a, in a culture of much, which most of us are in, then we don't recognize that everything we have is from God anyway. And so we become complacent in this. And so my encouragement to you is start praying this in the morning. Get up early and say, Lord, give me today what I need. And then watch him do it. Watch him show you how he is providing everything you need to do what he's called you to do. We need to create in us this understanding and this, this leaning into God as our daily provider and not allow our wealth, and some of you struggle with hearing the word wealth, but trust me, compared to a lot of other cultures, we have a lot of wealth. Our stuff, we let that get in the way, we become complacent. And God says, no, I want you to pray and I want you to understand, I am your provider. And if we understood more and more that God is our daily provider, it would change our hearts of worship. We would be much more grateful for all that God has given us. We would begin to see that everything we have really did come for God. And, and you know what? It would change the way we give back to God too. So pray that prayer. Lord, would you give me what I need? Give us each day our daily bread. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Just some of your translations say, forgive everyone who has sinned against us. And I have in my notes the word really with a question mark. As we ourselves forgive everyone. Really? The word everyone is the key here, right? In, in the original Greek, the word everyone means everyone. Guys, you guys should be used to that by now. I, I can use that joke almost every week. You don't, need, you don't need to be a theologian to figure out what everyone means, right? It means everyone, even the person that hurt you the most. Hard for me to say this and not feel funny, but even the race that hurts you the most. Hard for me to say because I know I'm part of the race that inflicted the most hurt, but forgive everyone. Those are hard words for us to live into. 
Those are hard words. And when we forgive, it doesn't mean we have to forget that it even happened. It doesn't mean we have to, to, to excuse it or make it right. It means that we don't carry resentment and anger and bitterness in our spirit. And the passage says, we ourselves forgive everyone who sinned against us. It's a lot easier for us to ask God for forgiveness than it is to extend it to others. But this is the very reason why we need to know who God is. That we need to have a right image of God. This is why Paul prays for the church. He says that your love will abound more and more, that you'll know how wide and high and deep and long is the love of God. And that love of God includes his grace, his mercy, his passion for us. And the more you know how much grace God has extended to you, the more gracious you will be with others. The more you learn to pray prayers of confession and receive God's forgiveness, the more forgiving you're going to be to other people. When we pray, Lord, forgive us our sins, here's the deal. God wants those prayers to be specific. What we want to do is we want to say this prayer, Lord, forgive me if I've done anything bad. Just for the record, you have. <laughs> forgive me for anything I might have done that bothers you. And that's not a bad prayer, but it's not going to bring the change that God wants. What God is looking for is specific prayers, that we would pray prayers of confession, prayers like, Lord, forgive me for being short and rude with my wife. Lord, forgive me for yelling at my kids that way and losing my temper. Lord, forgive me for not being kind to my coworkers. Lord, forgive me for my pride. Lord, forgive me for my prejudices. You, you allow the Lord, so you pray this prayer. You say, Lord, would you show me what's going on? And, and when God shows you, you pray specific prayers. And when you're willing to pray specific prayers of confession, something shifts inside of you, and you turn from that behavior, and you are far more li less likely to go back to that very thing that you've prayed, an earnest prayer of confession. And when you receive that lifting of, of the guilt that you feel, and, and, you, and you receive God's forgiveness, then then you are much more likely to forgive others. The more you see your own stuff and how much God has forgiven you, the less you're going to see other people's stuff and carry unforgiveness. This is a critical part of the Lord's Prayer because sin and unforgiveness hinders effective prayer. They're asking him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he's saying, well, if you have sin in your life, if you have unforgiveness in your life, it's going to block what I want to do through your prayers. Confession has this twofold effect in helping us. One is it helps us to live holy. It helps us to, to know where we're, we're getting things wrong and to live right before God, but it also helps us to forgive others. So there's two questions I want you to hang on to that you should ask, and I think both of them are brave questions. The first one is, Lord, what do you want me to confess? Right, search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, what makes you sad? What do I do that grieves you, that really makes you sad? Allow the Lord to show you what that is and then confess it back to him. Here's something. Confess it to somebody that you're connected with. Another reason why you need to be in a small group and you need to develop these D groups, we're calling them discipleship groups, where you can sit with somebody and you say, look, I just got to tell you, the Lord is showing me my, my struggle with anger and, and I've just been confessing that back to him. Would you pray for me? What does the scripture say that we are to confess, to speak truth 
one to another. Where are you going to do that on Sunday morning? You have to be connected with people on a deeper level if you're going to live out the commands of Scripture. So ask him, what do you want me to confess? And then ask this question, Lord, who do I need to forgive? (laughs) Some of you know how dangerous this prayer is. And here's what I want you to hear. God will surprise you. And the person he brings to mind will be somebody you didn't know you needed to forgive. Often, it's somebody in our past. Often, it's somebody who we just think to ourselves, I thought I already did that, but there's more that God wants. This is one of the the things that are most freeing about the restorative prayer that we do here at Grace. When we sit in a room, a couple of prayer warriors with you, and we just talk through some of this, and we ask the Spirit of God, show us where there's unforgiveness, and suddenly we're talking about people that have come into our lives a long time ago, and we begin to realize, I am still harboring something towards that person, and we say, Lord, would you forgive us? And God gives us something in exchange for all that bitterness and anger, and it frees us up. It's like taking a spiritual shower. It's the coolest thing ever, and it it frees us to have more effective prayers. But are you willing to pray, Lord, show me who I need to forgive and forgive them no matter how much they hurt you? Oh, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a powerful thing to do if you want your prayers to be effective. We learn to pray this prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. We learn to pray. Lord, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive others. And as we pray this prayer, something begins to shift inside of us. We actually become different people who are walking our our lives out in a holy sort of way. And then we begin to pray this prayer. Lord, protect me from ever going back to that. That's what that last phrase is all about. You know, the lead me not into temptation is a, is a picture of, Lord, don't test me beyond what I'm able. Don't ever let me be the person I was. Would you protect me? Would you keep me in, under your wing? Would you help me to walk out this amazing faith that you've given me? Would you help me to live holy before you? And here's what you need to know. Nothing I've talked about this morning is possible without the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. This is an act of God inside of you. So even when John was talking about that need for us to abide to do anything, this is part of the anything that you need the Spirit of God to to lead you, to take you through it. Jesus promises, I think it's in verse 13, I don't have it in my notes, but at the end of this kind of section of Scripture, he says, what father wouldn't give you the Holy Spirit if you asked? Just ask, seek, knock, ask, and I will give you my Spirit. How powerful is that, that God is promising if we just surrender, if we say, God, your kingdom come. I want your reign and rule in my life. I give up control and I give it to you, Lord. Would your spirit come? And the passage promises, of course, of course I'll send my spirit to guide you, to comfort you, to ennoble you, to empower you, to live out the Lord's prayer in your life. Second Peter 1.3 tells us, Because of the Holy Spirit, because of the reality of the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need for life and godliness. So today is communion. And it seems like God knows what he's doing because communion is always on the perfect Sunday for me. That's a good thing to chuckle about. Of course God knows what he's doing, but 
Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to lead you in this prayer as we prepare to take communion. I just want you to experience the Lord's Prayer. And you could do this in one of two ways. You could do this individually, or you could do this in small groups. If you are sitting with people you're comfortable with, and I don't want to put any pressure on you, if you're sitting uh, with, as a couple, that's great. If you're sitting as a small family unit, you are all family, by the way. We already covered that. If you're comfortable and you want to kind of gather together as we do this, that's great. If you are one of the servers, I want to ask that you come down now. If you're in the band, I want you to come out now. Um, but I don't want you to start serving yet. Just come down here and be ready to serve. Come on down. I know, I do things different. Everybody panics. That's not how we do it around here. So just wait for me right here as I explain the instructions, and then I'm going to pray, and they're going to serve. And while they're serving, we are going to practice the Lord's Prayer. We're going to practice the very things that I taught this morning. So uh, hold the elements. We're going to take them together at the end. But you know what the Scripture says? The Scripture says before you come to the table, a man a person ought to examine themselves. So this is a good chance for us to do some self-examination, to, to ask the Lord to show us what we need to see before we take the bread and take the cup. So Lord, I just ask that you would move mightily among us as we practice praying as you taught us to pray. You said, when you pray, pray like this. And so we're gonna pray in this manner, we're gonna ask you to move in a powerful way in the hearts of people. And I pray that you give them the courage to pray together if that's what they wanna do. And just uh, move in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can pass out the elements and again, just hold the elements. And while they're passing it out, I just want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. So start by just recognizing who God is. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Pray back to God what you know about God, what you know about his attributes, what you know about his love. Just pray prayers and say, God, I'm so grateful you are who you said you are. I'm grateful that you love me enough to call me. I'm grateful that you are powerful, you are mighty, you are holy. Take a few minutes and just pray. Father, hallowed be your name. When you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Pray that the Lord would reign and rule in your life, in your family's life, in the life of your kids, in the life of your community. Pray that the kingdom would come, that we would take hold of what God has for us.
says, when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Pray what you need this morning. Pray what God need, what you need from God. Just lift those prayers up to him and petition. Lord, would you? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. What does the Lord want you to leave today? What's that thing that you keep finding yourself going back to that you know isn't what God has for you? Would you leave it here today? Would you just say never again? I am not going back. Lord, would you forgive me for that? What is it that gets in the way of your walking out your faith with Jesus? Just leave it. Lord, forgive us our sins. Be specific as you pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Who does the Lord want you to forgive today? Where are you harboring resentment? Unforgiveness is a cancer. It will eat you alive. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, would you protect us? As leadership of this church, would you protect us? As the leaders in our home, would you protect us? As instruments in your hand that are called to make you known to our friends and our neighbors and our community, would you protect us? Help us to walk out this gift of faith that you've given us in a powerful way. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. They were sharing a meal that had been shared for some 1,400 years, the Passover meal. And Jesus flipped the script. There was bread there, bread that had been used, not the same bread, but every year bread that was used. And Jesus takes that bread bread that was set aside for the end of the meal wrapped in a white cloth and he unwraps it and he breaks it and he says this is my body broken for you he tells us every time we take it that we're to remember and why does he want us to remember because he wants us to have a right image of God in our minds he wants us to know I came I gave my life for you to show you how much I love you because your image of God matters. Because how you pray and what you pray and when you pray and how you respect others is all shaped by your image of God. And Jesus says, every time you take the bread, remember this is my body broken for you. Scriptures say in the same way he took the cup 
was Elijah's cup, the cup of sacrifice, a cup that had been shared meal after meal that represented that blood that was slain that went over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over the people. Jesus says, everything's changed now. It's not about an unblemished lamb and a doorpost. It's, it's about my blood. My blood that's gonna be shed for the forgiveness of sin so that when you say, Lord, forgive me, you're forgiven so that you can forgive others. He said, every time you drink this, remember me. Lord, I'm so grateful for this ordinance that you've given us of communion, to have a stop and remember, to reshape, reform a right image of you in our minds. Lord, I pray that we would know you more and more, that we would know how wide, how deep, how high, how long is the love of God. And that that knowledge of your love would grow in us. Lord, I'm so grateful for this body of believers that you've put together, I pray that we would honor you with our lives, that we would welcome your kingdom, that we would see your manifest power among us in healings and in the movement of your spirit that just goes beyond understanding and that people would come to know you in a powerful way. Thank you for the gift of life, life eternal, in Jesus' name. So the scriptures tell us that as the disciples left that upper room, they sang a hymn. And so I'd like to end every communion by singing because I just think it's what God would have us do. And to me, just something like taking that spiritual shower and then singing praise songs. So Jessica's going to lead us and a couple friends. And I just encourage you to stand up and sing along. And we'll use this as a way of closing the service.